Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for joining me on this midday edition of episode 36 of the show about the show. I would like to thank you guys for sticking around with this podcast. Um, I'll, uh, I haven't put out a whole lot of new episodes recently. 2018 has been pretty tough for me. Um, I've lost both my mom and my dad in 2018. So to, uh, you know, to put to do the podcast every now and then has been a very big blessing and it is something that I do not take lightly and I appreciate every single person that listens. Today on this episode I am jo- I am incredibly pleased, honored and thrilled to be joined by the amazing Twins Radio play-by-play broadcaster Corey Provis. He, we're going to I'm going to bring Corey on here momentarily and we're going to talk about this season's struggles, what it was like to call games last season, and we're also going to talk about some of the off-season expectations. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Twins Radio play-by-play broadcaster, Corey Provost. Corey, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So let's jump right in. Um, this off-season, the, the Twins made a lot of splashes. They signed Lance Lynn. They signed Logan Morrison. They traded for Jake Odorizzi. You you were down in spring training. Um, what was kind of the vibe going in? Because I think the vibe fans got was that this team was going to play a lot better than they have this year. Well, I think the optimism was, was certainly high uh, just based on what they added, and they added some, some proven commodities that uh, were, were certainly going to help. I don't think they added – you know, questionable pieces. They added players that uh, that were attractive to other teams, and certainly that was the case with Lance Lynn, uh, because outside of you, Darvish, he was maybe the most attractive free agent pitcher that was out there on the market this offseason. The Twins got him late, and they got him for less than what he would have gotten if he would have taken the qualifying offer from the St. Louis Cardinals. So uh, what was there not to like? I thought they made some good additions to their bullpen because what was so obvious at the tail end of last season was how young the bullpen was outside of Belial. It was a guy like Alan Buznitz and Trevor Hodenberger, and I'll, I'll still put Taylor Rogers in that group as well. Even though he had a little bit more experience than the prior two, it was still a very young bullpen. So they counter that by adding some veteran pieces with Rodney and Duke and, and Addison Reed. So, I, me, I was I was on board. I don't I think everybody was with what the Twins did this offseason – uh, they didn't spend a ton of money, but they kind of spread it around a little bit, and they filled some holes that they needed to. What do you think has been one of the uh, other than injuries? What do you think has been one of the the big reasons the team just hasn't played very well this year? I mean, obviously, you know, Polanco getting Polanco getting suspended, and then you you lose your ace in Irvin Santana for I think longer than the Twins imagined. Buxton's been hurt on and off. Sano's got demoted, and he's got the off the field stuff. What do you think is the biggest issue as to why they're not playing well? Well, I mean, I don't think it's the, the only excuse, but it's certainly it's certainly at the top of my list is the fact that they, to back up your point, I think it's it's well stated, is that they don't have the team that they envision having in March. That, you know, Miguel Sano is at A-ball right now. Polanco comes off suspension tonight. You know, Byron Buxton has missed pretty much the entire first half of the season outside of a handful of games here. Uh, Irvin Santana, they're the top guy from last year. He's up to throw in the big leagues. They lose their starting catcher, 
and Jason Castro to season-ending injuries. So you compound all of that together, and that's that's a lot of production. I mean, if you just separate some of the metrics and do just the war of every player, that's significant. I mean, that's not that's not insignificant losses there. At the same time, some of those are self-inflicted wounds. You know, Polanco, I'd put his in that in that group, and I'd also do the same with Miguel Sano. That these are things that they that these guys could have taken care of themselves, and and who knows how this this the season would be going had these setbacks not happened for some on the field, for some off the field, and that that that's been trying. At the same time, the guys who are here. You know, Brian Dozier has, has not had a good year. I think Max Kepler, after having a great start, he has not performed. Um, you know, Lance Lynn, I don't think he is, he's lived up to what I think everybody was hoping they would get. Uh, Jake Odorizzi has had his lumps at times this season as well. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think Mitch Garver has shown flashes with the bat, but not enough with the glove. I think Bobby Wilson has caught more than I envisioned. You know, Joe Mauer missing almost a month with the neck injury and, and the concussion-like symptoms, that didn't help. There, there have been just two really driving forces offensively, and that's Escobar and then Rosario. And I think back to what the strength of this team was going to be, and I just based this based on last season, and really the second half that I thought the offense would drive this team into contention once again, and it just hasn't happened. And some of that is because of missing pieces, but some of that is also because of underperformance. It, it seems to a lot of fans, at least that I that I interact with on Facebook and Twitter, it seems like a lot of fans' um, frustration is directed, obviously, towards Paul Molitor for some questionable calls, but more so, kind of for the kind of towards the front office for, you know, recently like the Matt Belisle signing and a lot of the questionable call-ups and and options down to the minors and things like that. Do you think the Twins end up retaining Paul Molitor at the end of the season? My gut says right now, yes. Uh, I'm one that, you know, I know some believe that a manager will will, will give you five wins a year and lose you five games based on decisions that that he makes. I'm more of the kind of the, the Pat Hughes mindset that, that I learned from him long ago and, and just kind of being around it the last, you know, 10 plus years, 12 years now, I, I think managers get too much credit when teams win. And I think they get too much blame when teams lose. It's about production. It's about front office personnel, giving managers, the, not just always the best pieces, but the right pieces. And you can make a compelling case that the twins took on some risks, not financial risks, but by signing seven free agents and, and, and trading for Odorizzi, that's a lot of new faces and a lot of new personalities just kind of forced into one clubhouse at a given time with the group that was that was pretty much back from last year. That one that 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 succeeded and you're blending in a lot of new with with, with a lot of old. And you think about, you know, teams and what they change in the off season, are they are they as drastic as what the twins had done? You know, were they bringing in seven new guys, eight new guys at one time? Probably not. You know, they're probably bringing in, you know, two or three or four, and then a few other guys on minor league deals that may make the team and come up at some point throughout a given season. So I, I don't I don't put too much of this on Paul. I, I don't. It's about – I don't think it's, it's Paul Myler's fault that, that Brian Dozier is hitting the way he is or Max Kepler is hitting the way he is or Lance Lynn is pitching the way he is. You know, Taylor Rogers hasn't had the same success that he's had in the past. You know, I don't. I don't put that on the on the footsteps of the manager. It's about, you know, these are professional athletes living up to what they've done in their in their careers, but also getting better. 
and, you know, just being in the game for a couple of years and seeing how things work and what works and what doesn't and making change because we see it in defense. We see defensive uh, changes each and every year. And to me, uh, it kind of maybe parallels into a conversation maybe we'll have later on about, you know, I just I can't comprehend why guys can't adapt in this day and age to, to a shift. And, you know, they see it and it's there, but they are just in their mindset. They're going to beat it. They're going to hit over it. They're going to hit the ball over the fence. And, uh, you know, with that, we have a game right now that just is lacking action. We have a game that's, that features strikeouts and walks and hit batters and uh, there are home runs, don't get me wrong, but there's just a lot of lack of action that I think is uh, is certainly a big storyline of the game this summer. Now let, let's shift gears here a little bit, Corey. Uh, this upcoming series that starts with the Twins and Brewers, this has to be kind of a unique series for you. For those who don't know, you were actually hired by the Milwaukee Brewers in 2009, replacing uh, Jim Powell, who took a job with the Atlanta Braves. And you got to broadcast next to a pretty uh, pretty unique and funny individual. Can you talk about who your broadcast partner was and what that experience was like? Yes. Being with Ken Summerfeld every day in Milwaukee was uh, was really, really fun. He's a great engineer uh, to work with on, uh, on Milwaukee. No. Uh, Euchre is uh, – he's, he's just – he's <laughs> met the world to me. And uh, this day, he's just, he's just a dear friend. And uh, somebody that I rely on for, for counsel and not just to, to kind of call and get a laugh or, or text and get a laugh. But when things come up that I, that I need some clarification about, you know, with uh, regards to, to broadcasting, with regards to you know, dealing with players and management, what have you. He's just, a, he's just a reliable and smart, you know, guy to lean on for advice. And at the same time, I, I just think he's a, He's a comedic genius that just also had a master's degree in, in broadcasting. He just is, is, a, is a wonderful man and a talented man. And at the age of 84, he's still very, very sharp. And he doesn't travel much anymore. He goes on select road trips. So I didn't see him at Target Field when the uh, when Milwaukee was in town. But, you know, we're going to have our time here. And I love that, uh, you know, that the interleague this year is the NL Central. So instead of having the, the home and home, the two and twos, that we get three days uh, to kind of uh, chat and catch up and laugh. And uh, so I, I make the most of this. Uh, any chance I get to, to be back in Milwaukee, but more importantly to, to spend time with, uh, with a guy that I really admire and a guy that I would not be here without, and that's uh, Mr. Baseball. Can you, uh, can you give us a – can you share a Bob Euchre story with us? Yeah, I mean, I have so many, but there's only so many I can tell. Uh, otherwise, you won't like me anymore. Uh, so, I, yeah, there, there, there are a couple that come to mind. And um, the, one that I, the one that I always go back to, I mean, this was at the end of my first season. This was at the end of 2009 in, in Milwaukee. They, they finished poorly. They had a good start, but they finished poorly. But, I, I, you know, before I was in Milwaukee, I was, I was with the Cubs for two years, and then Pat Hughes, who's the great voice of the Cubs and the future Hall of Famer himself, you know, he had that job in Milwaukee, too. It was it was Pat for, well, I think Pat was there for maybe 12 years, and then Jim replaced Pat when Pat got the Cub job, and I think Jim was there maybe 15 years. He was, he's been there longer than anybody ever will be, uh, alongside Bob Euclid, and then, then I followed Jim. But anyway, but Pat told me when I got the job in Milwaukee, he said, the moment that Euchre likes you, that you, you should feel good that you're in, is the second that he tries to make you laugh uncontrollably while you're still on the air, 
and you have to just finish. You have to fight through it because you cannot talk because you're laughing and you have sponsor reads, you have traffic, you have to just kind of maneuver through. And at the end of the 2009 season, uh, Milwaukee was wrapping up a series and then a season series in Cincinnati. And on this given day, this happened to be some kind of on-field event taking place. There were just so many people on the field. There was live music. There, were, there was dancing. There were just people singing, having a good time. But there was this one performer that caught our attention. I'm not sure if you're a fan of The Simpsons. Are you a fan of The Simpsons? Oh, yes. Okay. So I think every, even if you're not, if you just can imagine Marge Simpson, for example, and Marge has that towering blue hair, right? So imagine yep. somebody that, that has this towering head of, of not just hair, but it's a head of produce. It's about two feet in the air <laughs> of every produce imaginable, from bananas and peppers and apples and pizza, whatever. It's just, you caught our right. berries, and it's just glued together, and it's sky in the air. And so the way that we, we, we wrapped up our pregame show in Milwaukee was we, we tried to cover the national anthem just for timing purposes and all that stuff. So once in a while on the road, we'd catch the last few bars of the anthem. So the way that we timed out our pregame show was that when the anthem aired and we got the tail end of it, Bob would say something, say who sang the anthem, and then throw it to me for the lineups. And I'd go right to the starting lineups. So that this day in Cincinnati, last two games, three games a year, whatever it is, and uh, so we, we're watching this whole festival take place, and this, this woman with this towering head of produce is singing the anthem. So as she wraps up, we, we have the last few bars, and then Bob takes the black live, and he's going to say her name and whatever. But instead he goes, a Chiquita Banana with our national anthem. The lineups, here's Corey. <laughs> and I just wasn't ready for that. And, and so I just, I, 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 was, I just was stunned, and I was laughing so hard. And I couldn't stop laughing, and I had to get through the lineups. And there's a sponsor read, and Bob chuckles in. He's like, oh. You okay? And I and I just said, No, I'm not okay. I was expecting the Chiquita banana and then a toss to me for the for the lineup. So that's one that I go back to. It just because it was it was one of our first really great moments together and uh to this day we share a good laugh and uh that that was just one of many that, that really stand out to me. Fantastic, fantastic. Now you uh after um after you left the Brewers, you came to the twins, you were replaced by Joe Block. You re- you replaced John Gordon, who retired after the 2011 season. It, it seems to me, Corey, you know, listening to you and you know having a having you know Dan Gladden as your play-by-play guy, who was a longtime twin and major league baseball player, and kind of living in the state, it seems like you you have a really a good understanding and you appreciate the history of twins radio. You had, I mean, we've had Paul Geal, we've had Halsey Hall, we've had John Gordon, we've had Herb Carneal. Can you talk about kind of the, maybe the, the enormous undertaking that it is to be the twins radio play-by-play man, especially now that you guys are back on WCCO? You know, I don't look at it that way because if I did, I, I think I would struggle and I think I'd be overwhelmed with uh, with, with with not just uh, the privilege to do it, but just the, the job responsibility and how vast um, I, I have understood Twins territory to be. And I, and I knew it was a big deal, but I, I didn't know the extent of it. I didn't know uh, the Dakotas and certainly even in Iowa, I thought Minnesota, Wisconsin, I 
I was just oblivious to how far and how vast Twins territory uh, really is. I just, you know, I, I, I've done my research, and I still do my research, and I, and I, and I feel like it, it, whoever is in this chair, whether it's a man or a woman, and if you, if you have experience with being uh, from Minnesota or from one of the surrounding states, that it's your responsibility to learn about where it all began. And uh, one thing that stands out uh, when, when you think about that is, is that since 1961, there really haven't been that many to have done it. And so when you think about that, there's not like 20 people you can kind of say, okay, well, that person did it, that person. It's a very small fraternity. So I, I find that to be really appealing, that, that people don't want to leave uh, because it's such a great place to live and such a great team to work for and to be kind of a, you know, a part of uh, what, what you're trying to, to get out to uh, the public and and it's it's a great challenge every day, but I but I'm always going to be myself. And you know, if I was 28 and I just took on this job, I don't think I'd sound the same as I do right now. I I am who I am because of the people that I worked with, and and I got to work with Euchre, and I got to work with you know Ron Sano and Pat Hughes and Len Casper and Brian Anderson at the big league level, Bill Schroeder, and these are all individuals who are champions of laughing at themselves that you don't have to be the straight, straight broadcaster all the time, that, that it is a game, that you can do it with some levity and the self-deprecating humor that you, can, you should have about yourself uh, because you, this is not – there are a lot bigger things going on in the world. This, to me, is important. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge, huge part of what we all do, and we invest our time and certainly our money into it, but it is a game. And I try to think about the, the fan out there who, who, you know, had a tough day at work and maybe there's a lot of things piling up at home, personally, financially, what have you, that for three hours I hope that I can provide and we can provide just some sense of distraction, just to, to kind of not, you know, put all your problems, you know, in, in the dumpster, but just put them on hold for just a brief period of time to make you laugh, to inform, to educate, entertain, and those are the three objectives, inform, educate, entertain, that, that we try and nail each and every day. And uh, whether the team wins or loses, that's out of our hands. But the other three things, we control that. And that, that's something that I take a lot of pride in. And uh, at the end of the day, if we meet those, those standards, then I'm pretty happy. Absolutely. Corey, I ha- I'm, a, I'm in a uh, Twins Facebook group. It's called Ultimate Minnesota Twins Group. And I actually founded the group about three years ago, and we have over 500 members on Facebook. And I put a post out a couple days ago that you were going to be on the podcast, and people threw some questions out. Do you want to do, do a short Q&A? Sure. All right. Uh, Tim Myring wants to know, what becomes of Ari Adrianza once Polanco comes back? Does he deserve increased playing time with his recent success? No, I think Jorge Polanco is the starting shortstop as of tonight and for the foreseeable future. I think, you know, Polanco will come in. I'm sorry, Adrianza will come in from time to time. But, you know, if you go back to the second half of last year, uh, Jorge Polanco ranked among the top American League shortstops in war. I mean, he was that good. And it wasn't just the bat. The glove was better, and he was a key piece. Remember, Miguel Sano, out of the All-Star break last year, played in, I think, 18 games. And it was Polanco that was hitting third. And Polanco, the, the month of August, when the Twins took off, so did he. His OPS was over 1,000 in the month of August last yeah. year. 
And I'll, yeah. I'll be honest with you, when I when I learned of the suspension in, in uh, spring training, I thought, okay, it's a setback, but I didn't think it was that was going to be as devastating as maybe it has become. Polanco, it, it was a key piece to this team, and that was a really, really big loss looking back in hindsight that uh, I'm glad is back and he can, you know, start make amends here beginning tonight and hopefully he can step up. And I, I think uh, Polanco for the last, uh, you know, what, 82 games this season, barring, uh, you know, an injury or barring just rest, I think he should be the starting shortstop more days than not. Jacob Adams wants to know, what moves do you think the Twins need to make or will make at the deadline this year? I've heard Escobar, Dozier, and Odorizzi's names thrown around. Well, they have a lot of guys that are expiring contracts, that have expiring contracts from from Ron Lynn to, to Dozier to Escobar to, to you name it, to Zach Duke. They, they, have a lot of, they have a lot of pieces that I think would be intriguing to contending teams. Now, the Twins right now, as we chatter today, are they, are they a contender? No. But could that change? Maybe. Uh, in two weeks from now, and when they hit the all-star break, who knows how the 10-game homestand is going to play out. You know, they're what? Uh, I'm not even paying attention right now. They're eight and a half, nine games back, whatever it is with the Indians. I know it's a, it's a pretty lofty number, but to me, get back to 500 and see where you can go from there. So they have some time. and This is going to be a tough series with Milwaukee beginning tonight. But then, you know, Baltimore for four, KC for three, Tampa Bay is playing really well. You know, two weeks ago, that looked like, okay, another team sub-500 record, but I think they've won nine of 11, and they're now a game over 500. So that's not going to be an easy three-game set. And Tampa Bay, they, they love playing at target field, no matter who's on that team. They just seem to give the Twins fits at, at home. But I think there are, there are many, you know, intriguing pieces here. But I also think there are pieces that they're not going to part with. I don't, I don't think that they're going to – they're going to say, we're open for business and come calling. I would imagine there are, there are certain guys like Rios and Buxton especially that, that remain off limits here as they move forward. So you, do you think the Twins will be buyers and sellers? I mean, right now it doesn't – I mean, Brian Dozier is the biggest is probably the biggest name that they have on the team in terms of an expiring contract. And I don't know how much trade value he's got right now, Corey. He is struggling – Yes, and, uh, you know, I'll say, right now, I think the Twins are, are sellers. But that's just based on the fact of the record and where they're at and the standings. But, you know, the trade deadline is just still, uh, you know, late late this month. We've got three and a half weeks to, to sort this thing out. And, you know, the Twins, they have the, the pieces that they have done this before. And I think the return of Polanco is a big deal. And that, that to me, is not insignificant. That's, that's a valuable piece that they're not going to get back. And, and we'll see. He may have some rust. It wouldn't shock me if he has some rust. I know his rehab went well. He was, you know, doing fine in the minor leagues the last week, ten days, or whatever it's been. But there's going to be some rust. I understand, but still, he's a he's a really good player. I mean, he's a really really good player. To get him back is not insignificant, and they have to start making some noise here. Uh, the wild card is not going to come out of the central. That that I think is pretty much a given. That it's going to be probably what the Mariners and the loser of the uh, of the Yankees Red Sox. So it's about division or bust right now as the Twins approach early July. Now you uh one of the things that you uh graciously do every off season that helps us twin fans who don't live near the Minneapolis St. Paul or surrounding areas get through uh the winter is you go on caravan on the Twins winter caravan. 
I was privileged enough to meet you, I believe it was last year in either Grand Rapids or Bemidji. Can you talk about what the caravan experience is like for not only yourself but also the players? It's one of my favorite things that, that I do that I that I really look forward to every year uh, because getting back to something I said earlier, as somebody who's not from Minnesota and to, to, to actually go out and, and because I always heard about Twins territory, but to actually go out and see it and meet people and just get, you know, get out and get out of the Metro and see these great areas that love baseball, that love the twins is such a worthwhile experience and uh, the players always say the same thing and they don't know what they're signing up for i mean aaron hicks had a great line years ago he thought the caravan was just kind of like a party bus that you're driving around these towns and you're on a bus and then you pick some people up you hang out with them you hang out then you drop them off and you get more people on a bus he didn't realize that he actually makes stops in these cities and he have these programs and all that stuff so whenever i see him we, we still laugh about that but uh it's the one time a year that the twins come to you and not everybody, you're right. Not everybody lives in the Metro that, uh, that, that, that has to commit a lot of time and money, uh, energy cost to just get to target field for a game or a weekend series. Well, this is the one time a year you sit back and we come to you. And, uh, and I, I really do enjoy that. It's something that, uh, that I enjoy doing every January. Now, you've, you've been uh, doing Twins broadcasts for this will be your sixth uh, season coming on in 2012. What's your most memorable call? I, I, what's the one call to you that, or the one moment that kind of stands out for you? For me, it's the home run that Brian Dozier hit two years ago against Detroit. Uh, the Twins were down like 8-1 to one or 8-2 to two or 9-2, to two, and they came back and scored four runs in the eighth and then three more in the ninth and Dozier hit a hit a home run to win the game. What's your uh what's the one play or one moment in your twins career that you you'll never forget? Yeah, the Dozier Homer in two thousand fifteen, that was off Soria. That was that was really fun. Um I love calling, you know, Buxton plays defensively. Those I, I the pitchers hate when I say this, but I always like when the ball's hit. Uh when he's out in center because I want to go see him get it. Because um, he just can do things that that not many can. Uh, the catch he made Mother's Day in Cleveland last year, uh, 2017, is, is one that I'll never forget. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't really think much too much about that. I, I like that that people have their own opinions and that people have their own favorites, which I, which I'm honored, which I'm honored by. Uh, but yeah, but the Dozier home run in 15 is really special. And then right now, my, my favorite Twins moment was just being in Cleveland last year for the celebration, just being in the clubhouse and being there when uh, when Mickey Delmonico hit that home run, and literally being in the clubhouse and uh, seeing the reaction instantaneously is is, is to me the highlight so far. And uh, just just seeing the guys react, celebrate, respond that that to me is the highlight so far. Corey, we got about two minutes left. Um, I'm going to give you the last kind of minute or two here to kind of leave any message you want for Twins fans, for Twins territory, um, anything you want to say to the, the the fans, both in the Metro who listen to this podcast, people out of state, all that kind of stuff. Any message you want to leave to Twins territory? I mean, I, I just I'm, I'm grateful, and uh, I, I love what I do. It's 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 it really is. It's it's not a right. It's a privilege to 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 be in the position that I'm in, 
You know, I don't take it for granted. I, I realize it could all be taken away, you know, tonight, tomorrow. Um, but I, I give it my all. I do my best. And, um, you know, I, I'm not so much a homer. It's not we and it's not they. But, yeah, I want the Twins to win. And I really want them to win. And I, I feel great when they succeed because it's great for the players. And most importantly, it's great for the fans who have, who, who really have to suffer through some tough times and they get to enjoy the good times. And hopefully we still have some good times left in 2018. Uh, I'm not giving up on the season. I'm not giving up on some of these performances. You know, Brian Dozier has done this in the past where he's gotten really hot in the second half, and I think he could do that again. I think Max Kepler has. Uh, he's got a he's got a good stretch left in him here to finish out the season. This good second half that I could see him having, uh, you know. And I just I want to see some of these young guys from the farm system, whether we see Gonzalez, whether we see Nick Gordon, at some point this season. I think that'd be cool to see. And uh, the farm system is is good. It's it's, it's, it's there's some really attractive pieces down at A ball right now with Gratterall and Lewis and Kirilov and and all that. That there are some exciting pieces that are going to be part of this here in the near future. So. Uh, it's been a tough year. Nobody's denying that, but uh, I'm not giving up. And let's uh, let's all kind of hang in there, and let's see this thing through here in 2018. I think that's an outstanding, outstanding way to uh, to end this episode. Corey, I cannot thank you enough for giving me a half an hour of your time. I know you're a very busy man. I greatly appreciate you coming on and talking Twins baseball with me. Have a great day tonight. We'll be listening, and uh, thank you again so much for coming on. I greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. Enjoyed it, and have a great and happy and uh, safe July 4th. Yeah, you as well. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Twins Radio play-by-play broadcaster Corey Provis. Obviously, Corey knows his stuff. You know, he's uh, he's a very humble, great guy. You know, doesn't take it for granted. Like he said, it's a privilege, not a right. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun to watch, to listen to him um, ball games. He understands the history that you know being on WCCO radio has. So that was episode thirty-six of the touch of the show about the show i'm hoping to be able to do a couple more episodes here over the next day or two pending some uh, guest confirmations again i can't thank everybody enough for sticking with me through um the irregularity of this podcast like i said i've lost both of my parents this year so i've had to take some time away from the podcast and haven't been able to do it as often as possible but I do thank everybody for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Devlin under slash Clark 84. You can also find us on iTunes. Leave me a five-star review on iTunes and tweet me a pic or send me a picture on Facebook showing me that you did and be entered to win an autographed twins item. Thank you guys very, very much, and we will see you down the road in podcast land.